This episode is a sponsored partnership by Keen. So, you finally decided that you want to seek psychic advice. But now you're just sitting there and you're asking yourself, why Keen? Shouldn't I just look into psychics near me? It would probably be a lot easier. Our response? Why would you? Keen connects you with talented tarot readers and astrologers. If you want to get a reading on Keen, it's super easy to start. They've been giving trustworthy readings since 1999, over 35 million to be exact. All you have to do is create an account, and you'll be able to choose from hundreds of readers who are online right now. These readers each have unique specialties designed to provide a deeper understanding of your situation. Want to learn more about your love life? What's your financial future look like? Are you looking for a closure from a deceased loved one? Keen has a reader ready to provide clarity and insight. You can choose whichever reader best suits your needs, and you'll be able to connect via phone call or text. Just go to trykeen.com potential. As a new customer on Keen, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, which is up to $99 in savings. Once again, that's trykeen.com potential. Get your first 10 minutes for $1.99. And remember, know your potential. Hey, Potential Podcast listeners. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, then our sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private, safe, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise with BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. All you do is simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in just under 48 hours. After that, you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. Join the over 3 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Our listeners will get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash potential. That's betterhelp.com slash potential. Once again, that's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash potential. Take charge of your mental health with BetterHelp. And remember, know your potential. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. This is the Potential Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Potential Podcast. Yes, we're back. It's a good time. You know, the summer though has. Uh, Come and gone, unfortunately. Um, but it's, you know, what I like about when the summer ends it means that we're getting into fall. Fall is coming. It's not quite yet. We still have summer going on. It's still hot. But fall is coming, which means Halloween. Halloween's coming, which then eventually leads to, oh, gosh, the holidays are going to be here before we even know it. But, uh, you know, I always feel like, Taylor, you and I, there's something about that turning of the, of the season. It also means I think we're getting back to some more 
more big movies coming out. You know, the end of the summer always kind of tails off the blockbuster season. And then it's kind of like, now we get the interesting season of, we still blockbusters, but you get more of those Oscar potentials coming in and a lot of uh, big movies uh, coming out. And I, I, I always love that time of year, don't you? You know, it's funny. And I apologize, I interrupted you from introducing ourselves. For those of you who don't know, uh, I'm Teo Sokol and joined by Chris Stewart here. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's so funny. I laugh about this every time because uh, for those of you just tuning in for the first time ever, uh, Chris and I are both on opposite ends of the states. I'm in the East Coast. He's in the West Coast. So, But he's uh, he's had his taste of the seasons. But for for both of us, it doesn't matter where you're in the world. The fall, I, 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 I've had a new appreciation for it. And I think both of you are lucky in the sense that our better halves are big Halloween fans. So I think that's kind of added to that field. And no, we're not the, um, <laughs> I don't need the pumpkin spice. I'm okay with just a good cup of coffee or cider. But um, yeah, something about oh, fall. Oh, I love pumpkin. I love pumpkin spice. Really? Okay. I'm a, well, I'm a white girl at heart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I do. But, uh, I do yeah. want to actually, uh, before we kind of get to our main topic today, I do yeah. want to bring up, because uh, we've not actually had a moment yet to talk about it on the podcast. We have to send congrats here to our uh, host here, Taylor Sokol. He is now engaged to his lovely fiance, Lindsay. Yes. Uh, so congrats <laughs> to you. We haven't Thank got you. to talk about that yet. I know it's been it's been a couple weeks. Uh... Yeah, by the time this has come out, it's it's been a few weeks. Um, sometimes our recording is all over the place, but uh, we haven't actually talked about it yet. So, uh, congrats to you. You guys are happily engaged now. Yes, I know. I'm joining the engaged club. It's it's crazy to think both you and I are engaged. Both met our better halves uh, on on the same app on the online dating, and uh, we won't say it unless they want to pay us. But uh, no, it's 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 beautiful. I'm I appreciate that. I know you you and Megan have been so supportive about this, and it's 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 crazy. Yeah, I'm already been dating now a year, and we're engaged, and we we both got our wedding set for next year, so we're we're super excited. So couldn't be more happy. Thanks for the shout out. I appreciate that. Hashtag adulting. That's yeah. uh, what we're doing now. <laughs> Hashtag just, getting yeah, I, I love that we probably go back listen to some of our early episodes and be like, look look at these schlubs. I know uh, they said it so. <laughs> But now, no, we're happily, uh, yes, happily engaged. And, uh, you know, when I brought up that the idea that the, the, the turning of the fall brings about kind of a change of, of movies, we get, you know, there's that fall set of movies, especially as you get closer to October, and then definitely November, December, there's always a lot of big movies that come out. We also get these Oscar potentials, and so it's kind of a good mix, like the summer where it's mostly just blockbuster and kind of popcorn fodder. But, you know, we have a movie coming out this year that we've been waiting for for probably too long, I would say. I think now. we almost lost hope at a time. Yeah, I almost felt like this actually was never happening. It kept getting postponed, postponed, postponed. But potentially it's because for good reasons, for technological reasons, and for <laughs> apparently we're going to get in a bunch of these movies. But we have Avatar, The Wave of Water, coming out uh, December of this year, finally. If you all remember Avatar, remember that movie came out in 2009? Uh, so the fact that this is, you know, going on now 13 years uh, later is quite a long time for a, a first sequel. You know, you look at movies nowadays. Yeah, we're getting a lot of these uh, rehashes or going back to old material, having an old cast and new cast, you know, et cetera. But this movie should have had a sequel years ago. Yeah. But now we're getting Avatar 2 and 3, and we've been told about 4 and 5 as well. So we thought, you know what, with that coming out end of this year and Avatar is being re-released this month in September, 
to kind of get people hyped again and to go see it in theaters. I mean, that was an experience, the 3D. And we'll talk about Avatar a little later in the episode. But we thought we should talk about one of the kings of cinema, James Cameron, because you cannot look at James Cameron's work and not just be in awe of not only what he's done with some of these amazing groundbreaking films, but what he has done as a visionary director. He's always had this uh, love for visual effects and storytelling, and it's pretty apparent in all of his films. And not to mention that he now holds uh, two of the biggest grossing films of all time. You know, one was the biggest film of all time at that time, Titanic, and now Avatar is the reigning champ of the highest grossing film of all time. He so. definitely likes to top himself. It's not like top other people, it's <laughs> yeah. top himself. I mean, he is uh, James Cameron, just a pioneer on all senses of the word, on filmmaking and just the fact that he is even like taking his work too seriously. I mean, he's he's gone, he's done diving himself and he's just, the the effects and the what he's worked with, you know, types of filming is just incredible. And there's just, it's not, so much such a varied work i will say in terms of like there's a lot of the science fiction a lot of a lot of common themes but i will tell you the scale of his films is huge so this was i, I was glad that we you brought this up a while back and i was like and i think uh, folks for those listening we've been talking about like at least having a spotlight of a director every uh, season well taylor okay looking at james cameron you know of course like i said yes he, he's got these you know visual mastery i mean he's co-founded Lightstorm Entertainment, Digital Domain, and Earthship Productions. Yes, like you mentioned, he actually is a part of National Geographic. He's actually, I think, further into his career, he really has become someone that's really uh, concerned with environmentalism and how we look at the world uh, and doing what he can, especially for the ocean. He's obsessed with the ocean. He loves the ocean, way of the waters. It can be all ocean-themed. But looking back at his original you know, works here, I want to guarantee, I, I doubt you or I have ever seen Piranha 2, The Spawning. Have you seen that film? <laughs> no. Say, we probably haven't. The thing I love is that like one of his first big movies was called Piranha 2, The Spawning. It didn't do very well. Um, but I bet at the time, you know, again, you think when these, these directors are starting off, they're going to get what they can get. But it wasn't very long until he had a film come out that really put him on the map, The Terminator. And to think of the Terminator franchise, you know, he's been a part of some of these big franchises. The Terminator franchise is huge. Now, I think you and I, as we did do a Terminator episode last season, would agree a lot of the quality of the Terminator franchise has gone downhill a lot. Uh, in terms of James. in terms of story and yeah, yes. a lot of like rehashing way too much with the cgi and not as much with the story but i love this idea that he went to see john carpenter's halloween and was so inspired by that idea of this kind of non this like non-stop killing machine that like you know he was inspired to write the terminator and the terminator is a, is a great concept it's one of those where, again, as we talked about on that episode, it's a bit of a head scratcher where you kind of think if you get, if you think too deep into how this actually works of like of the machines had to send something back so they could kill before the swimming was born, it gets a little like, well, how is this possible? But Arnold Schwarzenegger, I mean, that's one of the most iconic roles. And that first film, especially too, because he is the villain, he is the evil version of the Terminator. We kind of always see him as more of a heroic type from that point on. But that first movie, I mean, it took me a while to actually see the whole thing. 
But Linda Hamilton, too, I mean, that like put her on the map as well. That film is pretty groundbreaking. And just think even that uh, starting to work with Stan Winston using those, you know, the makeup and everything. I mean, it's a pretty uh, impressive feat. Is that the first James Cameron movie you think you would have seen? I, you know what, actually, no. I think the first one I might have seen was just because of the time it came out. Of course, my mom ran me in the room to, to censor certain things. It was probably Titanic. But I remember right around the same time, my my stepdad, who who got me in a lot of the the Macho Men movies of the eighties. He basically everything he says is an eighties line. I've realized that now, as I go back into cinema lore, I realize everything he said. I thought it was a creative thing. That was from a film, Porky's, uh, Animal House, whatever. But I, he got me into Terminator. I remember seeing it on DVD, and that was like because it was always on TV. But that was that was like the. F- where I really kind of fell in love with James Cameron, I think would have been Terminator, even though I didn't see it as first. But you go back and watch that, it just, there is very few things that have come close to that level of terror, but that sci-fi and how creative it was. And the fact that when he 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 helped, you know, he wrote the script, but he, he wanted to sell the rights because he wanted to direct it. So the fact that he wrote it and then he also wanted to direct it, but because he was this new guy that nobody really wanted to, to, to take a chance with him, um, you know, I think that's that's really interesting. And the fact that with the casting and stuff that he worked with, like you think about we talk about Piranha 2, the spotting, but think about who starred on that and who kind of went on to go in a lot of his uh, films. You know, Lance Henriksen, who does play a cop there. And we know from Alien uh, Aliens. But yeah, um, and we can go on and on about that. But yeah, I just remember, man, this is crazy. And to think that the next film I would have probably seen actually would have been Aliens. Of, of the three early in, those are the top three uh, James Cameron movies earlier in my time. Yeah, I definitely probably saw Terminator 2 first, I would imagine. Um, I remember being fairly, not fairly young, like six or something, but I, I think that was probably one of the first ones I, I saw. Definitely was the first film of the Terminator franchise I, I saw. And just remember loving that film. That film has always stuck with me. The action is incredible. And well, how it's set they, up too, you don't even need to really see too much of the other one. No, that's true because, you know, they kind of do play up the idea that it's a great like sequel of what if the same came back and still alive, but then the twist of no, he actually is now good. And there's a more advanced Terminator coming back to now get the job done and to kill John Carpenter, uh, John, John Carpenter, <laughs> John, John Carpenter. Carpenter. Um, and even think, okay, 1984 to 1991, you know, seven years of, of passing and already the CGI and amount of technological advancements, the 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 T one thousand in that film, the stuff they did with the way it's you know kind of like a liquid metal. I mean, some of that stuff even for that time still holds up and is incredible. And of course, we we just love Robert Patrick. I mean, he's so good in that role. But some of the it's cool to see some of the back you know behind the scenes of not only the CGI moments, but like where they would have you know physical costumes and props to really you think of the prosthetics with, with the effects yeah. of like shooting it and then he's just kind of like all stretched yeah. out weird i mean you can't see dun, him dun, on the podcast dun, but dun, yeah dun, yeah dun, 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 <laughs> all the music. but I, as i mentioned on our uh as i mentioned uh, i think when it was maybe when we talked about predator um aliens was like the first rated r movie i think i saw or maybe it was terminator 2 i don't know mm-hmm. i can't remember now but all these were like, you know, it's it's a blurred, it's a blurred line. We've been talking people. too much. Blurred lines. <laughs> but aliens, 
you know, Terminator, of course, like I said, it's it's gone off to have, you know, like six films now. There's been, you know, its own TV show. And even though the last one didn't do as well as, as people wanted, I think there probably will be a return to Terminator. And even to think of like video games, arcade games, there was a whole, you know, show you could go do at Universal Studios. I mean, the thing has become huge and that's all thanks to James starting it all. Aliens is another one I think really... Uh, Aliens has kind of referenced, as we talked about on our Alien episode, it's like the Empire Strikes Back of Alien franchise. It's just as good, if not better, than the original. Now, and I'm that, is a, have... that is a challenge, too, the fact that you go from Terminator, where he kind of he created, that was, he was the brainchild. And you go to Aliens, where it's already been established. Ridley Scott established such a great, I mean, you got two titans of horror right there, of sci-fi horror. And then he's going to come in, like, how do I take that concept and make it bigger, grander, but a different scale? You thought one alien was bad, and that was like, that's incredible. Aliens, multiple. It is a great action flick. I mean, there is still horror involved, obviously, but it really is more of like an action-packed, you know, macho movie. And the thing, too, is with James Cameron, he loves these giant spacecrafts and rovers and he's all about that i mean that was also like a thing from watching terminator even as early as 84 seeing his grand scale scenes where you have these giant robots and things walking around yeah, we're taking and, over know, the taking over the, the world it was scary and aliens i mean he you know a lot of the stuff was practically built uh these giant ships and everything like that i think that's something he's always been interested in is these uh these things that we can use as humans to you know, for, whether it's for science or for war or whatever, uh, obviously he's always had to think for the, the, the man in the suit kind of thing, uh, which has gone all the way up even to Avatar uh, as a big part of that as well. But I mean, yeah, Aliens, it just, it kind of is like, if you if you look at what Alien is as a film, it's very much like a Jaws and like, you know, it's like you have, you know, your your crew, it's, 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 it's like your typical horror movie. It's just what, what made that movie so groundbreaking was the, the location, the lore, the creature design. Sigourney Weaver really, you know, kind of coming into her stardom from that point on. Aliens really took that and made it grand scale with multiple aliens. The queen is incredibly designed and looks so creepy. And just that, yeah, it's just like, it's an awesome action flick with a great cast as well. A lot of the cast that he's reused in other films, of course, Michael Bean. We'll talk about a little bit, you know. Nice and he was actually, also, he was yeah. not originally uh, supposed to come back for, for that. He was going to be, James Ramar was actually the first uh, choice um, for that. And, uh, it, but uh, you notice now we have a theme with Cameron likes some of his, you know, his performers. He like, he has a good choice of people to come back with. And we're also seeing a bit of a nice theme with, and we're going to talk about in a second, of his dialogue choices and the types of characters that he uh, creates or has for these films. Yeah, I've always I've always liked that he kind of has, for the most part, kind of your average Joe or like or the James. working class. Yeah, you know, or Jane's. Yes, um, you know, it's like the working class. A lot of these films that are put into these situations, unless it's like a military, you know, kind of thing. And I mean, Aliens did supremely well. Again, people would kind of argue if you look at the trajectory of the Alien franchise past that. Most of it's gone downhill. It's not been as good. Um, you know, it'd be kind of interesting if he ever returned to any of these franchises to direct it. I, I know he's produced or been kind of attached to some just as because he's created some of these characters. You know, one film I had never seen prior to recording 
Uh, same for you. We just watched it this week to kind of get into this episode. We've seen all his other big movies. Was the Abyss? I've already, I've always heard about the Abyss. Uh, just never seen it. I, I, I've always seen that classic image of the, what looks kind of like the T one thousand in the water and has like a face and it looks like it's you know looking right at the guy. I've seen that image before, but I've never seen the film. Well, we, we, we watched the uncut version, which is just shy of three hours. Ooh, it was long. What I will say is after, you know, we just reviewed on the podcast recently, 13 Lives, and watching a whole movie where a lot of it's set in a cave and it's kind of that claustrophobic nature. Yeah, it was like, we have a theme here going on. <laughs> this is what The Abyss did very well. You can almost look at The Abyss as kind of like an alien movie, you know, set underwater is what it really is. It's, it reminded me of that, minus there's not a killer alien. It's more of a kind of curiosity, science, a little bit out there, but I mean... All this, these shots of these giant rigs and things under the water for a lot of this was pretty remarkable, knowing this movie came out in the late 80s. You know, a lot of this now you could do with mostly visual effects, you know, and it would probably look a little more pristine. But there's something about the this the darkness of way down in this trench and this mysterious thing floating around. And also how I think a lot of those, which I think is a big theme about some of those films is like, Sometimes humans are the worst things. It's not the actual, you know, creatures in the dark or the monsters. The the idea that because all this chaos is going on with this thing and it and the rigs are falling apart and everything, how that like causes you to go crazy, which I think was kind of cool that, you know, if you've not seen the movie, I don't want to like spoil major things, I guess, but it's been out for over 30 years now. Michael Bean, who was, you know, more of a heroic type in aliens, he is like the total opposite. And the abyss, um, with some very dark turn. He really and, becomes, and, like, and, the and major that mustache. Bone. That mustache really adds a that mustache. mustache. It works. But, yeah, and if you think about from that on, like he, because I remember before Ter- after Terminator, any other movies besides those ones, he he does play really good villainous roles. Like I remember later in my life watching Clock Stoppers or seeing like some of these other stuff. Like uh, I think he's been in Walking Dead or no no um he's been in uh, with the Mandalorian. So it's very interesting. So, yeah, but he does has such a good creepy role. It kind of reminded me, going back and watching this, um, kind of reminded me of a little bit of The Matrix where Smith inhabits the one guy and he's like going a little nuts and stuff. So it was like really interesting to see the ill effects of, you know, people in that contained environment if you're not used to that. And also the, the, the beauty and the dangers of underwater exploration and diving. So I think that it, it, that's the main thing to me. What I got from that film is a very the dangers and the beauty of it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they say, they say as wide and crazy as spaces, almost a more untapped, you know, darkness of, of going down in the ocean, especially because of the, the pressure and there's so much that they have not explored in the water. But um, Ed, Ed Harris is great as the lead in this film. And I think that's something too about James Cameron does really well is you take out the element that there is this aquatic alien, you know, as they called it, an NTI, uh, down in the water. And a lot of it seems very accurate for what those things would be. You know, these rigs that can go down the water, it can explore and it can extract. You know, these are working class guys. Um, you know, a lot of these players seem like cast you would be in aliens or an alien. They, they seem like kind of your 
typical working class that are put in this really unique, bizarre situation, how they survive, how they work together. It's a lot of it. I mean, even even you think about our, you know, character, you know, think of Terminator with uh, Linda Hamilton's character, Sarah Connor. She's just a, you know, normal person. She in, thrown in these extreme situations. So I think that's kind of the interesting thing where you've got also the element of these kind of the military people that think they know what they're doing and then they're always outmatched. They always seem to be outmatched. <laughs> oh, always. And I, I did like the element of how they designed it. It almost was kind of neat was for this being an underwater alien situation. It did look like a jellyfish kind of thing. Like it reminded me of things I've seen like in the aquarium. So I think that was kind of a cool design. And, you know, some of the shots were breathtaking were like the main girls like out, like kind of on the ledge and this thing just floats up and is like, you know, kind of connecting with her and then it just flies away. And obviously the movie has a very, you know, specific message for the end of how like, you know, humans are destroying each other for war purposes. And, um, you know, some a part of the special edition that's not in the original cut is this whole sequence where these alien race who can control water are about to send these giant tsunamis all over the world to kind of take out a lot of humans. And in the last second, they decide not to because of this love relationship between this this married couple that is kind of going through problems that have been put in this situation. So I think the thing too, is we're starting to see the beginning of what ultimately is going to be a big part of James, not only his career as a fictional director, but what he likes to do with all these documentaries moving forward down the line. The last film I want to talk about for this first half is actually one of my favorites of his. I think it's one of the best action films of all time. Uh, it was great to have Arnold back, and this is like to Arnold back in like a starring role where he gets to be not only the action hero, but really show off comedic chops, which they started to do that a little bit in Terminator 2. Obviously, a lot of it was was funny with him and John, having him kind of learn the catchphrases, um, you know, a little more humorous because he was a good guy. But True Lies is one of the best action films of all time. It's a great premise, too. I just love the idea, you know, we've seen other things like this where, you know, maybe one partner in a marriage doesn't understand that their their loved one is secretly working for the CIA or, you know, government agency. But this movie is like bonkers fun. And, you know, Tom Arnold, of course, um, Jamie. Uh, and we get we get Bill Paxton for a little cameo as well. I, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Paxton, who, you know, would be used um, a couple of times great in this film in the way that 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 torture scene is such a funny um bill paxton man just come on man come on game over man but it's a big big action film this you know they have this threat of this terrorist and how they're gonna take it down and just the fact that jamie lee curtis doesn't know that her husband is like basically like james bond is a is a great uh one of the best lines of that movie was like have you killed anyone yes but they're all bad Jimmy Curtis too, you know, Scream Queen herself, kind of coming into this uh, role where she's like the meek, mousy, and then her kind of coming out of her shell. To but how how the whole situation? How is there. that awesome? It kind of like synergy. He was inspired by Halloween. Uh, she was in Halloween, and uh, I'm just saying, it's like it all it all comes together. Like everyone, of course, the iconic scene where you know she's starting to think that the whole time. I think it's great that she thinks her husband is having an affair. So she's like wanting to like that scene is so funny when she does the dance and he's 
the one in the chair and he's got the recorder and he keeps messing it up and drops it and stuff. It's just some really fun, fun comedy, but the action in that movie is, is awesome. I think it's, it is, it's one that I think has never been uh, repeated, honestly. Yeah, I agree. And, um, I would I would love to get James Cameron back into a little bit of a little comedic um, and action, but he would not do that, of course, because he's going to go on a bigger and grander things, if you will. So I think, Chris, good time for us to take a break and uh, get ready for a little bit more James Cameron. James Cameron, filmmaker, pioneer, director, producer, Visionary. These are just a few of the many hats that this titan of the film industry has worn. But he's got plenty of space on that hat rack for more. Right you are, sir. And we've got the exclusive inside scoop and what Cameron has got cooking up. Well, that was a great segue, sir. We proudly introduce Cooking with Cameron. One of James Cameron's secret obsessions is creating culinary masterpieces. And now he wants to share that with the world from classics to unique creations of his very own. Cameron's going in front of the camera to show off his cooking chops. Speaking of cameras, Cameron has always had an eye for details, able to get that perfect shot. He knows his way around the camera, and now he's proudly presenting his own line of cameras called Cameron's Cameras. Video cameras, film cameras, disposable ones too. The list is endless. And is he going to give camera lessons? Sorry, Taylor, but that's extra. Well, anyway... That's not all. We've got another great surprise for you. Cameron is taking his love for adventure and exploration to a whole new level. Step aside, Cabela's and Dick's Sporting Goods. There's a new outdoor outfitter in town. Introducing Cameron's Camping Goods. He's got tents, he's got canteens, and lanterns galore. It started in LA and now is in over 12 states and 25 locations. Look for your local Cameron Camp Goods store or go online and order now. Now, this is just a small sample of what Cameron's got cooking in the works. Stay tuned for more exciting news. Next time, we'll cover Spielberg's spaghetti. That director makes a mean pasta. And don't forget, Martin Short ribs and barbecue joint. Mm -mm -mm. Next summer, it's back. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. Well, that's the plan. It's back. And it's hungry for more. Now, Rose, these episodes you are having... The ship, the iceberg, Jack... Don't you say his name... None of you understand. I saw what that thing did to the largest ship ever built. Just one of those things tore it apart. And you believe this iceberg is coming for you and your son, John? You don't get it. It's not just coming for me. It's coming for all of us. All of us are dead. Get ready to sink. You're all next. And this time, it's not alone. We have to destroy those things. Do you realize what even two specimens we worth to the bioweapons division right now? We could look like heroes and be set for life. You're a real piece of work. You sent those seamen in there to die. 
over 157 dead and rising. I don't even know why they would get attacked. <laughs> Look, it was a bad call. You won't sleaze your way out of this one. But there is one last hope. Wait, it can't be. Jack. Hello, Rose. But how? I never let go, Rose. I never let go. Well, that raft was a little small, and, um... No time for that. It's time to melt these suckers. James Cameron presents Titanic 2 Iceberg's Day Coming next summer. And we're back talking about James Cameron. So uh, the next film with James Cameron will probably be the first film I actually saw in theaters. I think for both of us, I, I doubt we saw any of the, the first set of films, you know, uh, in an actual theater. And that would have been Titanic. Titanic is not only a great film, but it's one of the biggest, you know, successful films of all time. And one that's never like really been done a lot. You know, you think there's certain stories in history that we see kind of repeated or new takes done, um, you know, especially when it comes to like certain historical events, especially wars, I would say. Titanic's never really been a, a, a subject that's been tackled a lot. And this is like the big blockbuster version of that story. Uh, I remember saying this, yeah, in theaters and this became just like you know, nowadays, I think we see some films that have long legs and really are like, like, you know, this year, Top Gun Maverick has become like just a huge movie that's continued to play, continued to play. Titanic was the movie. It was insane. You, did you see this in theaters? I imagine you did. Titanic? No, actually. Um, no? Yes. Your mom was take you? Wow. No, it was, I. you know what? I didn't I, like, you know, but I was, I was really young. I mean, well, I was... Well, I guess I have, yeah, I have to remember you're you're roughly two years younger than me. I know I'm a youngin, but I was I would have been I would have when that came out though it would say it came in yeah I would have not even I would have been seven just a few months after turning seven. Yeah, I definitely saw this in theaters. Um, my mom took me and my brothers. Uh, maybe maybe not my youngest brother Alex at that time. Oh no, he he would have been like two. Um, but I remember seeing this in theaters. Yes, it's very long. You know, I think, the, I think the full normal cut is like three hours or something. It's it's a pretty long film, but or a, a little over three hours. Like I remember we had the VHS copy where it was like you had two tapes. Exactly. Like, basically, you know, you got to the point of like the famous drawing scene. And then like that was like where the video ended. And then you had to start video two for the more chaotic uh, sinking portion of the. But I think what was, what was neat is. Whether it's actually, you know, uh, fictional or not, I think a lot of it probably is, unless they got certain names and they kind of created the story. The idea of the love story through this tragedy, it, it, I think, was what kind of helped it go along. It's like, you know, we had the archetypes of the what's going on during the Titanic and how how they start this whole movie with, like, you know, it's a working crew that are trying to go down and find pieces of the wreck. Uh, you know, and they they see the safe and then you have these pieces come out and the old lady. I think that was actually a great concept because it makes it very, it's very like, you know, when it comes to storytelling, you have modern day and like, now we're going to go back in time and like see the ship like 
as it was. Oh, yeah. Um, and Bill Paxton, of course, back more of a cameo role. But, I mean, he is back as the captain of the modern, uh, you know, crew. And then seeing, yeah, Kate Winslet, Leo DiCaprio, Billy Zane. I mean, it's a great cast. And that film, I mean, I remember just how, like, they did really well with, like, all the beauty of the ship. But then really the the amount of how it's done with these big, like, you know, destruction things. And he already had a lot of this with the abyss, but when that thing does hit the, the iceberg and all the chaos of the sinking, I think it was very accurate and very well done while still heightening the, you know, the romance of the story. How do they survive uh, our bad guy? How does he get out of the situation? All that stuff. I mean, it's, it's a pretty major like blockbuster film. I mean, it, it, and of course, it won best picture. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. It's just a huge film. It's crazy. Yeah. And it just, just every time I can still go back, it's one of those films I can still go back and still get emotional and get invested in. Like, I know that they're not going to make it and I'm going to get mad at her because there was room on that, that uh, table, but she just pushed them <laughs> no, off. We always, that's the greatest debate. We always go back. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of remarkable when you think of not only the length of the film, but just, for for that time era, 1997, for it to come out, um, you know, of course, it had a big budget, $200 million, which at that time was even more than you think nowadays. I mean, we see a lot of films nowadays that are that amount, but it was just a huge film. And I think that was, what's interesting, if you look at his his list of films, he's had these big blockbuster films, but this had to be the biggest thing he had ever done. And possibly the biggest thing he ever done until we get to our next kind of main film here. But it is just amazing, and it made money. At the time, Titanic was the highest-grossing domestic film. It was the highest-grossing on the world. At this point, I think it's yeah, it's roughly over $2 billion that it has uh, grossed, $2.2 billion. So it's definitely made its money. Um, obviously, there's been multiple releases. They had it released in 3D at one point and everything. Um, but it's just a great cast. The music... The way costumes, it's yeah, the the the, pa- the pacing, everything. It doesn't feel like a long film. It's a hard feat to do a movie that's going to be a disaster film, but made very, not, yeah, beautiful, but also well paced. I think you know, sometimes you look at a film and like, oh gosh, it's going to be over three hours. It does not feel like it at all. It it definitely moves. Yeah, it does. And and a fun fact uh, for those who don't know, uh, James Cameron is a, a Canadian, hails from Canada, Canada. And uh, to think that this film also, when you think of this film, you got to think of best original song uh, that uh, one is My Heart Will Go On, um, Celine Dion, and how that kind of put that song and that movie synonymous, like on the map. And it's like, um, just like that, that music, the score, James Horner, it was just, that was like a winning combination. And um, I mean, that was a huge part of the late 90s for 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 James, of course, he would go on to. He actually, fun fact, uh, a couple of fun facts thrown out there. He actually planned to make a film about Spider Man. He was a he was attached to a project to direct Spider Man film. Of course, uh, then you know that got moved over to Sam Sam Raimi. But we still enjoy that. But what if? And I think there's a potential. I would love to see Cameron go into maybe a superhero more esque. Um, and he actually helped uh, co created uh, Dark Angel. Uh, series so he you know still kind of going in that uh with just galba i remember that dark angel show that's right that's right i mean yeah he has been you know we're mostly talking about the films he's directed but he's been attached 
uh, whether it's been, you know, writing credit, producing credit, um, art design, all stuff for, for a lot of big things. But I mean, Titanic was huge for him too, because it was uh, where he won best director Academy award. Uh, and that thing, I mean, it won 11 awards. It, you know, did very, very well. And so I think when that point ended, there was, you know, obviously that, that film probably took a long time uh, to make. It probably was a lot of work. And from that point on, he really did kind of take a break. The thing uh, is moving forward for, for James, we get into these documentaries. I've not seen any of these documentaries. I actually would be interested because, uh, you know, with Ghosts of the Abyss and Aliens of the Deep, his, his real love for, I think, the natural world, um, being a, converse, a conservationist, uh, being an environmentalist, wanting to document ways that we can be, you know, better with our trash, with our, how we, you know, look at the world, how we run a lot of physical things that affect uh, nature. I think he's taken a big love to that. And I mean, the man is gone like down in multiple runs in different parts of the world in these rigs, very much like the abyss uh, and that beginning part of Titanic. And he's done a lot of the stuff. And it's kind of interesting to think, where that natural part of him maybe he's always had that maybe that little bit of love for the world and for nature but that definitely would evolve into what has been his without you know any doubt his biggest feat he's ever um done and how he's going to move forward with that feat is of course avatar avatar he actually wrote that story like a long time ago the thing was he knew that that he knew that that um, story was not going to be possible with the special effects at the time. So I think that's why you see a big kind of leap from, you know, Titanic came out in 97. Avatar didn't come out until 2009. I think he had a long time of really, you know, the studios, especially 20th Century Fox, who had worked with him multiple times before. Titanic, Aliens, The Abyss, True Lies. I think they saw... This guy knows what he's doing when it comes to not only, you know, big moves. Hello, Titanic, one of the biggest moves of all time, best picture, but visual effects. And so I think they started giving him the tools to just to start playing. And especially, you know, we've seen a big growth with motion capture the last 10, 15 years. Obviously, Lord of the Rings was a big part of that. And Andy Serkis and how that, you know, evolved with Peter Jackson. But taking it to the next level of what if you did... A, a huge movie where it's not just one character it's like everyone is in motion capture an entire world um now yes taylor we kind of talked about this a little bit before we got into recording we look at the story of avatar a lot of people kind of made fun of avatar because it's not like a story that's brand new obviously the lore of the world the creatures a lot of the grand scale yeah that was it was visually breathtaking to the point where people people wanted to leave earth and go live on <laughs> this pandora. planet they wanted to go to pandora and now you can folks if you go to disney <laughs> that's, that's true now you can you can go to animal kingdom and uh you know disney world and you can go live your pandora dreams but you know there is very similar themes to a fern goalie to a pocahontas to a dances with wolves the idea of the more white you know, upper class or, you know, from the, what do you would call the, you know, the um, 
industrial world comes to the primitive world, starts to like one of the people and then wants to fight back the people that he originally came from. It's a story we've seen used in multiple things, but I think people would look at the film and go, it is groundbreaking for the, the world building. I think that's something that people have still really uh, attached themselves to for that film. Yeah, and well, I think even um, Avatar, um, James Cameron himself said he wrote an 80-page treatment back in 94 for Avatar. So this has been brewing in his head for a long time. I would love to live inside that guy's head for just a bit. Um, <laughs> but he, he really said he drew from every single science fiction book he grew up as a kid. I mean, think about some of the greats like Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, H. Ryder Haggard, you know, um, issue wells all these people so i think that's was kind of like the big inspiration but yeah and i think what going to what you said about waiting so long to do this what i love about james cameron is he's the kind of person like if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it well i'm not gonna do it like half you know whatever no half measures i'm gonna go full out so he's the one who wants to be perfectionist and he's one of those uh, people you've seen him re-release a lot of his films i know george lucas had done that with the original trilogy Somewhat, maybe not to a good extent, but I do like that Cameron wants to continue. Like, this is the vision I want to get, and I don't think it necessarily has to track from his films. I feel like they've helped enhance it because of technology. I can do this, I can do that, or for story purposes, this makes sense. So he is very in tune of what do the audience, what I want the audience to see. I don't really want. I want. I have a clear vision. This is what I'm thinking, and I, I want you to take along for the ride, which I do like that in director. Like, this is what I want. See if you agree with me. Oh yeah, I mean you can't you can't watch Avatar and, and not be like they put work into this film. Yeah, especially because yeah, there are there are a few times where I'd say it probably is a legit set, uh, mostly for the humans like in, in their quarters and you know kind of the labs and stuff. But probably eighty percent of this film, ninety percent of this film is complete, you know, from the ground up CGI. And that was one thing too. I think was so incredible about that experience. Remember the first time I saw Avatar on the big screen was the reintroduction to what is possible with 3D. I think the thing was after Avatar came out, we saw a huge trend of every film on the planet wanted to be 3D and it wasn't as good. Avatar was built to be 3D and it wasn't 3D where it's coming at you. I think that was the old trend, you know, Jaws 3D, these films that were cheesy that would have things. No, it was depth. It was showing like far depth of this planet and especially pandora is gorgeous i mean it's a giant natural wonder of you know flowing waterfalls and these floating rocks and there's so much greenery and the, of course the different alien life forms and plants and everything it's just it's a gorgeous thing to look at so i think the 3d experience was like whoa what am i watching i remember the, the like the first few shots you see jake like on his spaceship then you know we see what happens with his brother and that's a great story too i think is kind of neat is you know, if it had been his brother who was trained for all this, would it would different things have happened? But when you you bring the soldier into that world who has no experience with these people, and what how that will affect everything, and I think that's going to be a big point of how they're going to make all these sequels too. Is you know, it's been out for a long time, so I can spoil this for people. The end of Avatar ends with him becoming an avatar for good like he he's now part of that body and that's just going to be who he is i think we're going to see a lot of trajectory from what from what james cameron has been saying of why these sequels have been taking so long it's not only the the tech process they wanted to film them all like back to back 
So I know they filmed two and three so far back to back. But again, this is taken, you know, it's supposed to come out in 2013. Now it's 2015. Now it's 2017. Now it's 2019. It's just taken so long. This took you 80 years to achieve. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be grand scale, I think, by the end. But he's kind of saying that each film is going to be its own, has its own beginning and end. But there is an overarching story to all five. And I think that's kind of a neat thing is when you look at the world like this, where he gets to just play, there's a lot of story that's been untapped, uh, a lot of places untapped. Especially why, like we know, the second movie coming out this this Christmas is more attached to the ocean, the wave water, uh, which we only got a few glimpses of in the film. Most of it's set, you know, mostly in the jungle and stuff. If you've gone to Disney World and got to go on the flight of passage ride. There's a big chunk of that that does kind of look at the ocean. And I think that's that's going to be kind of cool is that there's a lot to explore on Pandora. Plus, there's like other moons and stuff around. So like there's a lot that they could do. And clearly the humans are going to want to come back because they know that there's that there's that material that they want to get. That's that's worth, you know, trillions of dollars. But I mean, the movie Avatar has been released multiple times, re-released. It's going to be released now this this month. This is the highest grossing movie of all time. You know, of course, I think at one point Endgame had finally beat it. And it was like, you know, even James Cameron was like, uh, you know, Kevin Feige, well done. You Rooster Brothers, you have passed me. <laughs> it was but a nice Avatar little competition. Re- yeah, uh, Very nice. But then Avatar was re-released again during the pandemic. And then they, they you know, because I think it was kind of, <laughs> that makes me laugh in a way. Doesn't matter how many times you re-release the film in theaters, it still adds to the overall box office. It's not like a first box office, second box office. So Avatar right now is the reigning champ. What about second back office? What about third box office? What about third back office? But I wonder, you know, he's been so focused on these sequels. And, you know, we have two coming out this year. Three is due to come out in 2024. And I, I, from my last I read was that two was fully in the can. Obviously, it might be some visual effects still being worked on. Three was like half done at this point. Um, still have some filming. But with this idea that four and five, are still being planned and he's even said that it may be possible now that he would pass the baton on that he would help still produce well he said he may not be he may not be alive to see this happen i mean i doubt that he's not that old and you know at this pace it's like just do four and five but again i also think how how successful will these be i think there's still a lot of fans of the original movie people are, are gonna be curious to how they continue the story but it does bring up a good point does he does he see a future with other things outside of Avatar, you know, moving forward? Because he he has been this huge force of sci-fi and the big blockbuster. I wonder if there's other, are there other films that he's wanted to tackle? Has he wanted to be a part of Star Wars? Has he been a part of, of Marvel or, you know, another superhero franchise? Or is he, you know, it seems mostly like he's pretty focused on his own, you know, writing or his own stuff. But I do think for his visual prowess and what he can do, there probably is some big projects that I think that he could tackle. But again, it's like, I think for what he sees as, yeah, like you said, he doesn't want to do a job unless it's going to be to the full potential of what he can do. Some things just take a lot of time. But, you know, there's some projects up there that I'm like, maybe he could tackle that and it would be, it'd be pretty remarkable, you know, what, what he could do outside of, Directing. I mean, he again. He has been a a producer, a writer for some huge films, 
and I wonder what he would do moving forward. Yeah, um, the choices are endless. I think um, he has, though the the grand scale, though the films have been few, the the weight and the grandness have been mighty. I just I would love to see him do other things um, and just just or have more of a part. Maybe even take a. I think he is. I think, like you said, that's why he likes to be the director. I think he likes that control. And I think we all like have that moments. But I would love to see maybe co-producing, working with, and helping new filmmakers. But he has been, another fun fact for Anaccio, you know, he has been um, talking about, you know, um, a while back he talked about adapting this book by Charles R. R. Pellegrino about, it called The Last Train from Hiroshima. And talk about the survivors of the atomic bombings. And I think that would be very interesting because we have had so many um, films of World War One, World War Two, but uh, not so much the effects of the atomic bombs. I know we have Nolan's doing Oppenheimer coming out next year. And uh, hopefully, you know, <laughs> things get delayed, you never know. Um, so it would be interesting to see where that goes. But Cameron, what a visionary. And uh, I, I continue to get excited where he's going to go next uh, past the Avatar films, honestly. Yeah, they always say don't bet against Cameron because uh, time and time again, it's just shown that all of his films have done very well at the box office and he he's now like the box office champ uh, with two of his films being some of the biggest films of all time. And we're, we're going to be very excited to see uh, Avatar The Wave of Water and see how the story continues and where he goes from there. You know, Avatar 2 and 3, like I said, is in post-production He's still attached right now to do four and possibly five, but he's even said, you know, if two and three don't make enough money, they're not going to be a four and five. I think, I think Fox just kind of, you know, sees that the potential is there. But it's like when you make the biggest movie of all time, at least, you know, box office wise, numbers talk, money talks. So they're like, if we can repeat that success, we're going to want as many of these films, you know, one day Avatar 12, uh, yeah. know, it's like, our grandkids will you know avatar, avatar the series the series avatar the bookcase avatar the Funko we gotta Pop. sell the toys <laughs> yeah so um but yeah we'll be very excited but the great thing is you know up until the new movie coming out all these films you can go back and re-watch and we do you know if, if there's a james cameron film you've not seen you know of course we we maybe need to do a uh get a some beers and go have a Piranha 2, the spawning of yeah. viewing, uh, just to see how that is. But to see his growth as a filmmaker and seeing these projects he's taken on, you can't deny that he does big movies, he does them very well, and he's going to continue to impress us, whether it's a fictional film or his documentary style. So we applaud you, James Cameron, for entertaining audiences for as long as you have, and we can't wait to see what you do next. Um but yeah, go ahead and reach out to us on a social media or email. We'd love to hear your thoughts on James Cameron. What's your favorite James Cameron movie? And what are you excited to see from the future of the Cameronverse <laughs> coming this summer, yeah, exactly. 2025? Um, <laughs> but until next time, we'll, uh, we'll catch you. Enjoy. <laughs> Bye. Potential Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Potential Podcast or on Twitter at The Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, thepotentialpodcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.